Uh, James Gibson, all the way from Turkey. How you doing, buddy? All good, mate. It's nice and warm here for December. I'm looking forward to this chat. It'll be a good yeah. one. Yeah, I can't wait, mate. We're going to talk sprinting today. And like you and I are both part of the Any Question app. I work for them full time. You're a huge contributor to Any Question. And, um, you know, what we love about it is we can come in and share our knowledge and experience. And what I've uh, asked you to do today is really dive deep into your mind and and your sprint genius because like look there's very few people on the on the planet that really understand sprinting like you and i and and there are others for sure but you and i have spent our lifetime trying to figure this out right and had a lot of success both as swimmers and and now coaches uh, and you're still having success and and um i think it's just important that we can share our knowledge and experience that we've learned over the years now this isn't uh, something where you can just follow exactly what we say and get the results we get, but it's going to be kind of a, a playbook, right, that people can follow and, and help them really understand sprinting. And I'm doing this because I, I've seen where sprinting has come and I'm, I'm seeing where it's going and, I, and I'm excited about the future. And guys like you are really changing the way we think about sprinting. So I appreciate you doing this today, mate. Uh, yeah, much appreciated. And uh, I think it was uh, something I actually jumped at when you flowed me the message and it's it's something sprinting is is misunderstood i think mm -hmm. in our in our world that we live in um there's always been a not stigma attached to it but there has always been a, an element of the sprinters don't generally do a lot of hard work and i'm you know i'm quite tired of hearing that to be perfectly honest because i know that bruno ben uh cesar fred busquet some of the most disciplined athletes i've ever worked with in my life um but, you know, it's, it's great to come and actually have a, an open conversation. And thanks for getting me to write some questions because you're always picking everyone else's brain. So I've got a I've wrote I've wrote down quite a few here that I'd like to actually ask you um, and and get your in-depth thoughts on uh, the sort of the industry that we're in. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I also think that there's with Sprint, there's no real right or wrong. You know, it's there's there, there's there's a lot of literature on the Australian threshold method of training, the Albrecht system, and there's there's no real specific model for sprinting. So this is what you know, everyone's figuring it out. And generally, the coaches that are, are really into sprinting are kind of the outliers because the, the programs are quite radical to to what is considered the norm. And you know, that makes people feel uncomfortable. You know, that would make, uh, so, well, anyone feel uncomfortable to just say it's okay to swim 400 meters for a workout. Um, but th there, we do kind of sit as an outlier. But so hopefully today we can actually get some of those points across of why we're outliers at the same time. Yeah, mate, we're going to go deep into it. And I appreciate you writing some questions. I've got them here in front of me. I'm reading them now and they're, they're great questions. We're going to dig into them. But you're right. Like, look, the 50 freestyle itself has only been an Olympic event since 88. And that's not that long ago. I mean, I think that track and field in, in the terms of understanding sprint is way ahead of us in, in, in swimming and, uh, and maybe even cycling. Some other, other sports like this, I think, are just uh, further ahead than we are in the understanding of how to coach sprinting you know we've only just started to really divide up our programs between kind of sprint middle distance and distance we never really existed like that for many years so uh mm -hmm. it's interesting where it's going now and and now we have specialists and I, I would say i'm a specialist and i'm okay with that you know when i first 
started coaching, it was like, don't box yourself in. You want to be out, you want to be good at everything. And I understand that, right? Like I've got a, I've got a deep understanding of everything. If I needed to coach a distance swimmer, I'm sure I could figure it out, but um, I'm definitely uh, a specialist in the sprint field. So uh, we just lost you there for a second. There we go. Yeah. Sorry, mate. I don't know what happened there. That's okay. Oh, good, mate. All right, let's get into this. Uh, let's. Uh, I'll start with the first question. Maybe you can swing around. But uh, the first question is really this: is is sprinting art or science? And I think it's a great question that you wrote out here. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And yeah, yes, every kind in swimming is we, we can't. I'm seeing a lot of programs go more towards a science only um, based sort of. Uh, periodization training methods methodology mm. and with the, all the data sort of apps that we're getting all the wearable technology we're getting an information overload mm. but there's also the technique that has to be done at some point so i put that question because th there is an element of science involved in sprinting but i think it's less honestly i think it's less and my personal opinion is that sprint is an art it is an art it's how it looks it's how efficient the athletes are how if like the coaching that goes into the technique um is a lot it's a lot more detailed and the, the sprinters generally have to spend i know every athlete does technique i know every world-class athlete does do technique but I, I don't see a medalist with bad technique ever in a sprint event in it or across the board so I, i'm i'm edging more towards an art but what do you think mate it's a good question and i would say that i was very science based as a swimmer right like i came from the australian system where it was very heavy science based we had guys like bob trafine who just passed away recently who would walk around with his heart rate monitor right and everything you did was based around heart rate and zones and they would do these step tests you know seven two hundreds for sprinters on five minutes and and they'd take your heart rate and take your lactates and it was all around science and then they'd they program out your your work for the, the season based on that that test that you did and it was just it was insane to me at the time like it just didn't make any sense for a guy that was swimming a 50 freestyle and and i very much felt like an outlier at that point in time with with guys like kieran perkins right next to me and ian thorpe and grant hackett and these guys that everybody was you know just monitoring like racehorses i just wasn't that guy i was like hey i don't feel good today maybe can we sprint tomorrow like that's the art of it right the art of it is figuring out when is the best time to do something and what is the best thing to do and seven two hundreds was not the best thing for me and and doing it uh, you know and then setting up 30 100s once a week in my program based on those seven two hundreds was not the right approach either so it's like the art for me is figuring out each athlete is, is different and i kind of learned this from mike bottom early on where he would say you know if you're if you're very hairy uh you have a tendency to kind of want to rest more like big big grown strong men you know who are really hairy might need to rest a little bit more than you know and, and he had his own theories on this stuff so that, that was always tr a trigger in my mind of like everybody's individual everybody's different you can't just box people in and when i started to coach sprinters i learned that each sprinter themselves was individually different there were people that could handle a little bit more work like a, a Zach Apple who could swim up to a 200 fairly comfortably, but also produce a great 50 freestyle. And then there were people that could really just swim the 50 and, and barely get to a hundred. So 
Um, it was everything in between. So I think the art of it is understanding the individual needs and figuring out when and what to do at that point in time. No, I absolutely agree. And that, that kind of gets me on to my, my question for you, mm. is that we, we, we're seeing a lot of the sprinters in the world today all coming from different areas. So do you think it's, it's something that can be developed in a squad mentality, like you've got the big squads in Florida with Caleb and Auburn, University, Cal? Or do you think it's better for individual specialization like the athlete is on their own basically which we, we're seeing quite a few of them dotted around now what's your thoughts on that man this is an interesting question because i had bruno fratus who was with me at auburn and uh decided to move to florida and asked me at that point in time if i could still write his workouts he was going to move to florida and start a new life um and this was about the around the time of around uh 2015 you know 2016 uh, Olympics and he wanted to just get away and have, have a life. He was becoming an, an older person who was married um, and just didn't want to be around kids in training anymore and really had specialized specific work that he was doing for himself. So we started this plan where I would send him workouts. Uh, his wife, Michelle, would then implement the workout and send me results back. And Bruno would just swim on his own. And he was very efficient and, and, uh, had extraordinary results doing it this way, you know, made, made Olympic fight. Look, Bruno, Bruno's the only person in history to swim 21 seconds, a hundred times in the 50 freestyle, which is just insane. So the, the consistency of work he was getting now based on the fact that it was very centralized to him, very focused on him. Uh, he didn't need all the, the people around him. And, he, and you're seeing more and more of that around the world. Now, I think that you're even doing some of that with Ben proud, right? Yeah, so I'd, I'd say that my role with Ben has moved more towards a mentor uh, as opposed to necessarily a full-time coach. It's more of a, a mentor. He has a very, very specific individualized program and it's based on his needs and it would absolutely not work for someone else. And what I learned with coaching Florent Manadou, uh, Ben Proud, both at the same time, is although they both swim the same event, they swim just as fast as each other, they need completely different things. And that's a challenge in itself. You know, but that's that's coming towards the, you know, logic would suggest you're a sprinter, you just need to do the same work. No, it absolutely doesn't work like that. Flow needs a bit more aerobic work. He needs to be mm. floppy and his, his muscles and relaxed to go fast. Ben needs tension, like Fred Busquet, very similarity between Freddie and, uh, and Ben in there. But yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it more and more. I think my personal feeling on the squad versus the individualization, it just depends on where the athlete is in their life cycle. Um, when they're young, generally it's around a team and uh, the athletes, the good athletes outgrow their teammates because mm. the reason why you carry on swimming and you're into your 20, late 20s and 30s is because you're good and you outgrow your teammates. So Generally, as you get older, you need different things. And we are seeing the Michael Andrew, Flora Manadou, Ben Proud, Bruno Fratus, Christian Golomev. Uh, they are very specialized individual male sprinters and they have their own program. Sarah Schostrom is very specialized individual program for herself. And that's kind of where we're going. We're shifting away from this big squad mentality. I know Caleb's in Florida uh, and he's in that environment. That works great for him. But we're seeing more and more all these athletes doing very, very different programs, 
almost getting the same results. So, yeah, I think I think just the squad versus the individualization. It depends where that athlete is in their point in their career cycle. Yeah, you're right. And uh, look, it's it's difficult because it's it's hard to have an individual coach, right? Who's mm-hmm. going to pay that coach? And and uh, so I think what you're seeing more and more is is athletes that come in and out of programs, maybe even have the ability to take a workout and implement it themselves, right? They don't need a coach necessarily standing over them for 10 workouts a week anymore, right? Uh, even a guy like Dylan Carter, right, who's had tremendous yeah. success in the past uh, couple of months, uh, moved back to Trinidad and was, was training there and, and came back. And so you're seeing these athletes really take uh, more of a controlling uh, role in what they're doing, how they're doing it, an understanding of being a professional athlete, right? We used to think that being professional was how much money you got paid. It's, it's not that. It is how you take care of yourself and the results that you get and the consistency that you get. Um, that's kind of where we're, we're going in the future. So it's interesting. And I think it's good because what we used to rely on is this uh, mentality in America that you can only swim in kind of like a big college program to get results. And now we're moving away from that system a bit. And, and I hope it continues down that line. So uh, fair question, something that is going to be considered for a few more years and see how it develops. Uh, let's go for another question here. So uh, this is interesting because this is this has changed as well. So how do you periodize your training year these days? Yeah, I was... Uh... That's a, it's a tricky one, you know, because there's always bumps along the journey, with, mainly with sprinters, because uh, generally they get injured a little bit more than distance guys or middle distance guys because the injuries always come from the, the weight room. So ge- generally, the, like, I know Adam Peaty broke his foot in doing land conditioning work this year. Generally, the injuries come from the land work, and it's not really – sometimes in the pool, yes, of course, but – the majority comes from outside the water. So there's always bumps along the way. And I put a lot of thought to this. Yeah, traditionally we've had a quad plan, a yearly plan, a cycle plan. But if I'm going to be brutally honest about how I periodize Ben's work or Mm. a sprinter's work, it's just cycle to cycle. Mm -hmm. You try and be as quick. In the winter period, the only difference is we don't take as much rest. So there's going to be, you know, that the peak's going to come further on through the year. That's more of a psychological thing than anything else. And I'd, I'd be brutally honest, it's get from to the end of the cycle as quickly and be performing as quickly as you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, we periodize the land work more than what we would periodize the swimming work. So we'd have a phase, you know, in the winter cycles, there'd be a lot more, in, there'd be a bit more strength endurance work in there and then the, the, the maximum strength work comes later on in the year so i'd say i peri- we periodize with marco Cosso. we periodize the strength training more than the sprint work to be perfectly honest um mm. and the idea is with, with most sprinters is you've got to get them healthy and to the end of the cycle in good shape ready for the championship meet and because the margins are so small now um if there's a, a bump along the way it becomes more and more challenging. Yeah. And it used to be swimming it was easy to periodize because you were only peaking twice a year. You know, you'd, yeah. you'd go to a trial meet maybe. And then, uh, you know, a couple of months later, you'd go to the, the international meet. Well, that, those days have gone, especially in the last few years with the advent of the ISL and other mm-hmm. events like this um, that have come on board where 
the athletes have to be fast all the time. And so periodization really, like you said, it just comes down to cycle to cycle. I remember having a very specific conversation with Bruno Fratus and we were preparing uh, for, you know, like a world championship cycle. And he was, he was going to be swimming at the world championships in, in say July. And, and we're having this conversation in January and he's saying, well, you know, I want to do this, this now. And then a couple of months later, I want to do this. And then by the time I get to worlds, you know, I want to be at my peak and that's when I want to start a lot of, you know, the speed and the, the, the top end stuff. And I was like, well, Bruno, we're, we're at a situation now where we've got to get to the trials and race the best people. You know, you've got, you've got some of the best sprinters in the world in your country alone. So it's like, you don't want to have a situation where you're like Caesar Cielo, you go to the 2016 Olympic trials and you don't qualify, right? Like, so you've got to be fast now. And that's, that's kind of the mentality that a lot of these athletes are adopting is I want to be fast now. I don't want to be fast in six months from now. And so um, I really give a lot of credit here to a girl like Katinka Hosu. You know, Katinka really set the standard, I think, not in sprinting, but in the mentality of swimming fast all year round. Um, I mean, there were probably other people that, that, dabbled in that and were doing those things um but but someone like her very early on you would see her go to every meet and she would swim prelims at 100 percent she wasn't holding back in anything she was breaking breaking european records and getting close to world records in prelim swims of, of events just randomized and so uh, but the professionalism that she kind of adopted too of I swim fast all year make a ton of money I mean, it's just a great mentality to have. And that's that's kind of where swimming's at right now. So, yeah, you're right. Periodization has to be kind of uh, seasonal now. Yeah, um, just the, the, the ever more racing opportunities that are that you, exactly like you said. I know what's going on with ISL now and the challenges there, but there's also with FINA World Cup. This, uh, mm -hmm. or the, the, the seasons have been so packed. This year we've had, uh, this year, I say... I, We've had world world long course, Commonwealth Games, European long course. We've got world short course coming up, and it's it's championship meets all in there. So to construct anything long term is quite difficult. Mm. It's challenging for for anyone. But like I, my my thing with periodization now, yeah, similar to you, I have my four year plan, but really cycle to cycle, keep the mm. athlete healthy, mm -hmm. and build the gym work throughout the year. It's more of a priority and try and be as fast as possible say 90 95 percent of the time because you don't yeah. want them you know going to a meet nowadays and uh finishing 11th um in a especially for a, an athlete that's trying to win the olympics or or medal at the olympics finishing 11th in a 22 6 or 7 it just mm. it, it just doesn't happen anymore yeah yeah um i know you wrote a, another great question here that i think we can move to that i'm super interested in i don't have as much experience here as you do but you wrote when will we see a, a woman swim 22 in the 50 freestyle long course mate i gotta be honest with you i've never coached a woman to go 23 so i'm still a ways away from you but um my qu my question beyond that is what are the Australians doing that is so different to everybody else right now in terms of the 100 freestyle as well? Um, but back to this question of how do women continue to get faster? You've had a lot of um, 
experience with Sarah Sostrom, uh, what is she doing that is is different than maybe the majority of the world that she continues to to push those boundaries to get faster and and be at that top end of speed for women? I'd say Sarah is one of these unique serial winners. She's a serial winner. Um, I'm not working with her anymore, but I had a, obviously I had a few years um, working when she was 23, six, and uh, you know I also had Peniel in the program, Fran Household 23.9 with her years ago. Mm-hmm. And look, Sarah's a serial winner. She's she's she knows what she knows what she needs to do. Mm. and this this is she's an older athlete now she's taking a bit of time you know she's she's taking a bit of time off the competing stage to rebuild her energy to have then have another little crack at paris but she kind of she understands her body very well she's no she got an understanding of self she, she knows what she needs to do to get the 23s or whatever but she got she was the one that got me thinking about the 22 point you mm. know 22 point and i i honestly believe that someone is going to take that massive jump in women's swimming. It just has to happen. And because, and, I, and I'm watching the technique and I still haven't seen a female athlete control straight arm technique yet. Mm. And it, it hasn't happened. Sarah's got a hybrid technique and it's got, it is quite straight when she does freestyle, but it's still got a nice, it's got a bent elbow similar to Caleb. It's not the pure straight arm of a Fred Busquet or a Ben Proud. Uh, so, Why do you think the straight arm then is so much better? Like if, if a woman was able to connect a straight arm with power and speed and efficiency, really like, like some of the top end men, why is the straight arm the technique that's going to get them there? So I'm just writing a few notes here. Sorry, Brad, yeah. I'm just writing this down. So just in terms of the times. Yeah. So no, the straight arm, the straight arm is about anchor points developing uh, its power. And it comes from the shoulders. So, I think you know it's a physiological thing. So the, the men, such as Ben, you look at their development of their, their shoulder muscles. You look at um, uh, Freddie. Well, you've had the experience with Freddie. Says that was a bit more aggressive. It was muscle, but it was aggressive with it. Floron is aggression. Um, but Freddie and Ben were finesse with their straight arm technique. And I, I haven't seen a woman be able to control the shoulder girdle and the shoulder, the sh- all the shoulder muscles as much as these guys do. And but if you just got to look in terms of improvement, so night uh, 2004 Athens Olympics 22-0 got a medal, 21-9 won it, and now now we're at now we're at 21-0. Now the women's event, so we went bent arm with the bent arm stroke. The men were swimming 21-9s. Uh, yes, there were some anomalies in there, but in generally 22 lows. Uh, what what did you what time did you go in the final in Athens? I uh, 22-07. Yeah. All right. 22.07, bent arm technique, and then now straight arm 21.0s. Women are swimming bent arm technique to go 23.6. So that being said, the improvement in men's swimming is now down to 21.0 with the straight arm. We're there with the straight arm. So if that same improvement, it's not, it doesn't even have to be the same in time. It would look in at just six tenths of a second to get to 22.9. It's logical. It's going to happen at some point, and there's going to be a big jump. And I, I, I'd like to find the woman to do it. I really would, because I believe it can happen deep down. And I think it's not going to take, just going to take someone to control the technique and it's going to go. That, that time will just crash down. 
Let me give you my thoughts too, because I, I just had an, an athlete who I'd worked with for many years uh, by the name of uh, Renzo Tijonjo from, mm -hmm. uh, from, from the Netherlands, but he's from Suriname. He's, out, he's living out in the Netherlands, um, training out there. And he just broke 22 seconds for the first time. Massive swim, good for him, very well earned. One of the things I noticed straight away is that he's still pushing water. And what I mean by that is that he doesn't get his shoulder up and over. And I like to say this, keep those armpits dry. This is where Ben Proud does a phenomenal job, Ben. And I learned this from Freddie Biscay. But mm -hmm. the, the athletes that can get up and over the water, get their armpits dry, come up over the top, grab onto that water, hold that water, and just power and push it, right, are the athletes that get up and over kind of like, what, what I see is a, a barge type, you know, they're, they're trying to muscle it down the pool and their shoulders aren't getting up and over the water and they're pushing water and they're very strong and powerful and maybe even quick, right? But they're just pushing water. And, I, and that's what I'm seeing still from the women is that I haven't seen a woman get super high in the water mm -hmm. yet where they're able to get that shoulder up and over, like you said, and really connect on that front end and then, and then catch onto that power at the front end. The women I see are still swimming a little bit like Renzo, where they're a little bit lower in the water. They're pushing a little bit of water. And, and so I do, I do think it may be just a, a strength and power thing with women. And I don't know how we change the physiology of a woman to be super strong and powerful, to be able to get up and over the top of the water like that. But I think that's kind of where it would have to happen if you wanted to see a 22-50 freestyle. It's not going to be a matter of, oh, we just need to train them to swim faster. It's, no. That's not that's not it, right? And, and that, that's what I think you're saying. And some of those technique drills that I see you do with Ben Proud where he's swimming super slow with fins and paddles, but he's getting that shoulder up and over the water and then he's connecting on the front. And I, and I have seen Sarah do that drill herself, and which has helped her become consistent at that 23 level. But uh, but Ben's just got a different different strength and power to him that um, yeah that that's kind of that's where it's at for me. What do you think? Yeah, and there's this brilliant video. I don't know if it's on YouTube, and you can see exactly the differences that you're talking about side by side. It's 2010, 2010 Budapest, Freddie Busquet and mm. Stefan Nystrand were mm. next to each other. Freddie was 21-3 when you were working with him, mm -hmm. and it was just that that swim changed male sprint freestyle forever that was mm -hmm. it was gone like the yes cesar was 21 free wasn't he but it was in the super suit now freddie's mm -hmm. rocks in a pair of shorts it was mm -hmm. game changer and you know still today that 21 three would win medal at any olympics um yeah so he he was that big reach that big scoop the up and over the shoulders sit in a positive position and you know the shoulders the girdle is facing forward towards the other end of the pool a lot of the mistakes with straight arm what i see is that the arm is too straight and comes mm -hmm. round, and the shoulder is actually in a negative position, which mm -hmm. means the chest is open, which is resistance. And this is where you get this pushing of water. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. I see you see it a lot. You see all that, that pushing, and, and what this video shows is Freddie with this exact thing that you described up, over, forward, forward, like a bicycle chain, you know, boom, 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 yeah. versus the the straight arm, which we see quite a lot of coming round in the shoulder in the negative position. And Stefan pushing the water. Freddie twenty one three. Stefan was still a good swim at the time twenty one nine I think. But you see the two levels. Freddie Freddie got out and he said he didn't even try mm, that race. Mm. And Benny Benny when he went twenty one one in Rome unrested. Mm, mm -hmm. um, 
it was just it was magic. Similar, similar. Big, yep. big, big, and then again the finals and muscle up a little bit, and you change mm -hmm. you, you change mm -hmm. how you're doing it. So, but yeah, back to the women's side. I've never, I haven't seen a woman swim like these two lads yet. I think yep. I 100% agree with you. It's not training effect. It's mm. it's a technical thing, and it's going to take someone to take a risk. If someone, I think if someone's going to say I'm a 50 only swimmer. Um, I might be finishing fourth or fifth and the world champs and this is my level and I've got to beat the Aussie girls and, and Sarah and I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to just learn a whole new way of swimming like Florent did in 2012 and that that's when you might shift the sport to the 22 because well, I think we, we can do it absolutely yeah. yeah, no you're right and one of the things I used to say to my athletes and this is where the art comes in sometimes I turn my back to it you know, like when I was at Auburn, the, the divers used to be behind us, right? And I would be coaching here in front and I'd have the whole pool in front and the divers were going behind. And whenever I heard a rip, I would just turn around and, and knew that that was an incredible dive and I would just start clapping because I didn't even have to see it. And it's the same in a 50 freestyle. If you were to take those competitors away at that point in time of those races that you talked about, and you were just listening to the sound of Ben Proud swim in, uh, in Rome, it would be very, it, it would almost be silent. It would be, it'd be soft and it'd be, it'd be flowing and it would just sound like that little rip all right. And, and whenever you hear someone trying to swim fast, they're beating the, I always say you're beating the shit out of the water. You know, they'd just be slapping the water and, and yeah, they might be, they might look good, but it's like slap, slap, slap. And when you see a Ben Proud and he's up on top of the water and he's just flowing and there's barely any sound to it, that's the art of sprinting right there. And that's when, you know, somebody has really dialed in on exactly what they need to do to swim as fast as possible. That's great. Uh, I 100% agree with you. We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Biney of Biney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. A question to you, it leads in a little bit to that. So you're saying uh, about how purposeful the technique is. And there must be exercises that you did with all your great guys. So what's one thing or one set that you did with your swimmers that you think make the difference? Or, and, you know, it's one little gem in there that we can all learn from or I can take into my program and I know it's going to work. Like a set or a thing that you did. I'll give you two things, okay? I'll give you I'll give you a resistance set and I'll give you a speed set, okay? Um, the resistance set would just be simply getting onto the power rack, right? And having that 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 feeling in mind that I talked about, where it's where it's effortless and it's soundless, you're not slapping at the water. And what you do is you'll do you'll do a power rack where you'll swim out 15, but you'll try and be as clean as possible. And you do it with a very light weight. 
Okay, so there's very little resistance up front. It's just, hey, swim really fast, but clean with good technique and just effortless. All right, I don't want you, I don't want you scrunching your traps. I don't want you ripping at the water. I just want your hips high. I want you flowing. I want your your feet in a little box. Just keep your feet in a box. All right, and just get up and over on it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to add just a plate each time. I'm going to add a plate. And then I'm going to add a plate and you're going to hold that same technique. And when it gets to the point where you start to rip and slap and grab, we pull back. Okay. We, we stop. That's enough. You've got to the point where you've done enough and you haven't, you haven't yet programmed your body to get to that heaviness. Right. And that, that could take a couple of months, right? You might progress that way up to the point where it gets messy. Stop it. And then come back, you know, three or four days later and do the same thing. So that would be a progression where you, the ultimate goal is to be as heavy as possible and be as clean as possible. And when I would see Bruno Fratis pull a, a full rack uh, with, with, with very little effort and just clean and very little sound, I knew he was ready to go. That man was going to pop. And, and, and this is Bruno. Like, we're not talking about the biggest sprinter. And I've, I've said this to him and he's probably sick of hearing it, right? He's not flow manadu you know when he stands on the dais next to flow flow's got a good you know foot he's a foot taller than him so bruno had to be efficient and he had to be powerful that's the only way that that man could compete and and, and be better and so we had to work on cleanliness efficient efficient uh or whatever that word is efficient clean efficient. and effortless yes yeah clean and effortless yeah and then we had to be uh super powerful of course right and and you had to you had to get on your catch early and you had to hold water and a lot of people what they do is they'll they'll get on their catch and they'll start to let go of the water underneath their body you got to hold on to that water all the way through the back end of your stroke and you got to let it get out clean and then come back in clean and then when you get to a point where you can pull a rack at full speed, uh, at, at full heaviness, and, and it looks clean and efficient, man, that's when you're money. And that, that might take a season. Now, so that was my power. I'll give you my speed set, all right? Let's do this. Let's do a set of 50s. The first 50, you're going to break up into 10 meters only. You're going to do five rounds of 10 meters for a 50, and you're going to break for 10 seconds. Okay, so you go as fast as you can, 10 meters, stop. Maybe you have to push back a little bit. Maybe what you even do is put cones in the bottom of the pool, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and you break it up and you do a 50 broken into five uh, sections of 10 meter sprints with 10 seconds rest. Okay, the second one you, you might do, uh, break it up into four sections. Okay, and you'll do the same thing basically maybe a little bit extra rest so you, you might go 12 and a halves uh four rounds of 12 and a halves all right broke broke the 50 up and you might go 15 seconds restless a little bit longer rest third one same thing you break it up into thirds you go 20 seconds rest and then you go 25 25 you might go 30 seconds rest and then you'll go a full 50 and sometimes even by the time you get to that full 50 you kind of you kind of burn out. You you might be pretty fatigued. This is where I, I would steal something from you, and I'd put the fins and paddles on, and I'd go clean. I'd go a clean fifty with fins and paddles, where you, your your body's already under stress and duress because you've done these broken swims. Now you're doing a full fifty, but now you want it to be clean and efficient. You put the fins and paddles on and try and swim under you know world record pace type thing. And so that would be kind of a speed progression set for me that that you could do quite often. 
Um, you, you know, maybe even early on in the season, you could do rounds of that. Um, would, would you play with the rest? Like, say, say you got say you can't the athlete at the early season. They obviously can't be at the fastest they, they are going to be for ten meters or fifteen or twenty five. But would you play with the rest a little bit? Like, mm. if they need more rest to keep the quality, or are you with that set? Would you just keep it all like in, in more in the work the work mentality? Yeah, you're right. Like a set like that. You can do early in the season. You might do rounds of it. You do shorter rest. The quality might not be as high as you want. The, the speed, the top end speed might not be there. You know, you might you might progress the season where you increase the rest for sure. And maybe you, you decrease the rounds. So maybe you do three rounds of that with short rest early in the season. That can be your endurance. You know, I, I've said this um, to a lot of people who understand me and, and my philosophy on sprinting is that you and I, when we trained, the way that we trained early season is we did endurance swimming, which meant we swam up and down the pool, right? We did lots yeah. of yards because that's what everybody did. And so what I said is when I wanted to start coaching is, yes, I understand you need endurance to swim and compete and back up race after race and maybe finish your hundreds and your 200. Yes, you need endurance. I get it. But what I want is speed endurance. I just don't want endurance for the sake of endurance. I don't need aerobic endurance to swim a 50 really fast. I need speed endurance. So what I said to my athletes early in the season is we're going to develop speed endurance. And this is this is where the set comes in where you can do rounds of it and you can do it on shorter rest. So it does fatigue you and maybe you're not swimming with the perfect technique right, early on in the season. But as you progress through the season and as the, the rest cycle opens up, the technique improves, the power improves, the speed improves. And then you get to a point, you know, right at the end of the season where you're pushing stuff and it's like, it just looks beautiful, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. I get all that. Yeah. What about you? Give me something that you would do. So my, my, my little gems, my little, my, my set, I'm going to go speed endurance. I'm going to follow on to you from you. And I do a speed endurance set, uh, a lactic power type work and it would it would generally be 40 25 60 25 mm -hmm. 80 25 and it can vary for you can you can actually coach a squad on this set and be just got to do it differently so i would do let's say for example we're going to go 40 25s or i would go one dive 25 off the blocks all out on 30 i'd go one aerobic on 30 one aerobic again on 30 so and then one easy, but I repeat that 10 times. So you're getting 10 25s um, off the block. If you've got more 200 base swimmers in your program, you can even go one on one off, or you could generally go what I would do with Chad in that. And he did a set, he did this set with Michael Andrew actually here in Turkey. Was they went through like the 40 25s with the sprinters, and then we chucked an extra 20 25s on, on, on like no, no extra rest, just all 20 20 25s were on speed mm -hmm. endurance. But what we got with that set was strange with the, the dive 25s. The athletes I always found got better, bizarrely, because um, they're cleaning up as they go. So I have this thing I don't like. I call it shit backstroke. Mm. Like when you see a sprinter come into the wall, they lay on their back and they're Argh! like, they look like they've been shot and mm. they're behaving like that as well. Mm. And I, I honestly believe in muscle memory and what your brain, your body does what the brain tells it to do. So what I try and do in the, I try and get this out the athlete and I've still stole this off Fabrice Pellerin and he used to do it with Cami Mufa and Yannick Agnel back in the day, but he did it obviously on fifties and hundreds and things, not 25s, mm. but he literally just got them going straight away. So dive 25 all out, then you've got to swim aerobic. 
And I don't want to see this laying on the back complaining that it's hard or whatever. But, so, but they, they clean up and they switch on. So we were, we were working the anaerobic capacity, but then we're getting a little bit of aerobic capacity at the same time. And maybe it's purist of science will go, what can you get off a of 25? And, and you actually can with some of these guys because they, they're not a big endurance beasts. So yeah, the speed endurance set like that. Dive 25 all out, um, then, uh, then th like two aerobic or three aerobic or two aerobic, one easy mess around with the set if you've got to coach a group if you've got uh, you know if you're an auburn you've got 50 swimmers in the pool hmm. and then you can mess around with it and then the, the the more distance guys or mid distance guys can carry on after so that'd be my speed endurance set and we do that quite a lot and you can go like i've had ben up to 60 25s before uh and wow. then like exactly like you said when the when it's dropping off get the fins on then the overspeed work comes in so they finish off and they feel good um but then my other gem is something that i do is uh max distance per cycle and i've done this all the way from uh, years ago right from the word go and it's a set i've never changed in 12 13 years of coaching so very simple fins and paddles 1050s one one progresses one to five hmm. one easy and you take the athlete it's difficult again even a group situation but if you're an athlete on their own, they can take as much rest as possible uh, or they go whenever they feel like it. And the max distance per cycle is you, it's like mini max, people call it mini max or whatever. I'm basically saying something along the lines, you've got 12 strokes to swim as fast, not cycles, 12 strokes, so six cycles to swim as fast as you can possibly go. And yet at the start, I've seen so many athletes come in, they can't do it, they can't hit the stroke count, they're at 17, 18 strokes. But then after a bit of practice, they're then so efficient. You said clean and effortless. Mm -hmm. So I've now seen Freddie Busquet, Flo Manadu, Ben Proud, Simonas Bielis, Sergei Shevsov push 21, 20 point, 12 strokes, fins and paddles. Mm -hmm. And it's it's all about efficiency, the engine, the bigger. You're encouraging mm -hmm. this, what you said, the big up and over movement because the athlete's got no choice. If you're going to do short strokes, you're going to overgo on your stroke count. So a max distance per cycle, I do it right at the start of the season. I do it all the way through. And it can be done in 25s. Uh, 100 short course is quite good. Uh, eight 100s, one on, one off. Uh, uh, hitting four strokes of 25, something like that. And it just encourages good practice. It's, it's a mentality, clean, effortless movement. And of course, mm. you you're working but you're also not producing the same waste and lactate in your body if you're only swimming 12 strokes in length yes it's hard but you're not going to those high lactate numbers where you can't come back tomorrow and still have a great gym session or keep working so it keeps the lactate relatively low but the quality is exceptionally high right yeah i love it um I had so many things come up in my mind as you were speaking then. I think we, we're going to extend this talk a little bit longer than we probably first anticipated. <laughs> I hope you're all right with that. Um, here's the thing. What's the one technical piece of advice for sprint freestyle? If you want to go as fast as you possibly can, if you could give one piece of technical advice that trumped everything else, what would you pick, you think? It's a good, it's good. I would uh, work on the body line, getting the body as high, sit as high, high in the water as possible. Uh, lumbar spine, if I'm going to get brutally one thing, lumbar spine up. Yeah. In fact, if it's just one, one small bit of advice, because if you're 
under the water, you can't go forward. You almost want this sensation of swimming downhill. Um, yep. You said it earlier, when you sit high, you can get that great reach. So I'm, I'm just going to go with body position. Lumbar spine, push it up. I like it. And look, there's no wrong answer here. I agree with you. Um, one of the things I would say for me, the probably the most important thing that I had to get under control and, and get a clear understanding for all my athletes in order to swim fast was head position, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and it goes along with body position for sure. Right. But, but the head is so crucial, right? The movement of the head, you move the head side to side, the body goes side to side. You move the head up and down, the body goes up and down. So I would see a lot of sprinters trying to be powerful. And as they would grab, they'd, they'd bob their head up and down. And then their body would bob up and down. Or they, would, or they would try and grab and they would swing and the head would go side to side. And then the hips are flying side to side. So to me, uh, the control of the head is such an important thing. And then even the positioning of the head, like you can have the head too high and the hips are going to drop. Obviously, you can you, you do want to swim downhill, but sometimes to get that effect, these athletes will bury their head, and then all of a sudden they're they're pushing water again. So for me, the head position is crucial. And, and this is where I see you do a fantastic job with Ben and, and Sarah and anyone in your program. Their head position is just rock solid, mate. I mean, you, you use a lot of snorkel, which I think mm -hmm. uh, has been incredible for sprint freestyle in the past 15 years, like the advent of bringing that into programs on a consistent basis and even the improvement in snorkels but uh, yeah that's been a that was always a key factor for me i'd get a young freshman in and they they were strong and powerful but they just didn't have they didn't have control of their body and they didn't have control of their head and then once you kind of put those pieces together then they start to understand control of the extremities as well you know yeah and it's interesting about the burying and the burying i see i see it a lot burying the head and it mainly happens on breakout and the problem is if you're going to put that head down on your breakout and it happens with all the best swimmers it's not it's not it's not unique to up and coming guys it's a it's something you've got to keep under control because as soon as that head's been buried it has a spillover effect on the rest mm. of the 50 or the rest mm -hmm. of the stroke mm -hmm. um uh and i, I yeah <laughs> It's, it's amazing that he gave one bit of advice. And now I'm thinking, oh, maybe your head is right. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah no, listen, there's so many, so many things. And of course, they're all, they're all, they're all connected. What about um, your next um, question, mate? What else you got? So how do you construct a perfect 50? And we're going to stick with freestyle. I know, I know some people yeah. might be thinking we're only going to talk about freestyle, but then I guess that's our, one of our specialities. So but 50 freestyle, how do you construct it, like to race it? Like what's, what's, the, what's the key things, the key words, and what, how, how do we build that? Mate, it's a, it's a question that I ask myself as a professional athlete. Well, first of all, in order to make my first Olympic team, I had to, I had to confront this question, you know, because it was ultimately what I was trying to do was swim the perfect 50 to make the Olympic team back in 2000, right? It was every young Australian boy's dream to be part of this Sydney Olympic team. There was nothing else that mattered. If you're a swimmer, this was it. So this was the, the one and only question that I had to really confront. Uh, how do I construct a perfect 50? So from 1999 up until probably when I stopped coaching in 2018, you know, maybe, maybe I was coaching Bruno to, to Tokyo, helping him there. But, you know, for, for the past 20 odd years, this has been the focal point of everything that I've tried to do. So the understanding of is uh, the, the basic question I would ask myself from that question is 
well, what do I need in order to achieve that, right? Like you always break it down into that's the end result, right? Here's the perfect 50 or here's a time that I want to hit. You know, I, I know at the Olympic trials, I'm going to have to swim 22 flat to make the Australian team. So what do I got to do to swim 22 flat? What are the elements of a 22 flat swim? And now we're, we're, we're talking about what are the elements of a 22 50 freestyle for women, right? So if you want to get somewhere you've never been or something you've never done, you have to try and understand the path to get there. And so this is where I would break it down. And so obviously it comes down to mechanics off the blocks. How do you set yourself up? And I, I had Roland Schumann, who was the best in the world at the time, competing against me. So I would analyze Roland. Then I would say, and, and then probably even through the breakout, like he had a great entry dive underwater breakout Roland's Roland's the 15 meter king back in 2004 and so everybody can kind of pick who's who's the best at what they do now but Roland was the guy right so you'd you'd analyze Roland's first 15 and say well what's he doing and how can I pick up some of this what can I incorporate into my into my training and now everybody if you don't have a first 15 in the 53 you're done you're dead so that's kind of the way it is and then then you'd you'd break out the next part of the race you'd say all right from the from the 15 to the 25 um, i'm talking about my breakout now i'm talking about setting up my first few strokes um, how do i want to get a hold of the water what type of tempo do i want to get on what type of length do i want to get on what's my body position okay so you, you're answering those questions for that section of the race then you're, you're getting into the part of the race where it's like okay i've crossed the 25 at full speed now i've i've, I've used up all my atp and now I'm getting into a little bit of fatigue. And um, this is where this, this speed endurance might come in. Uh, it's certainly the second half of the race, right? And so you have to answer that question, okay? What, what, what's my length and, and my body position? And, and what am I feeling at that point in time? What, what's the body expressing at that point in time? It's, it's feeling pain and fatigue and you're starting to slip water. You're... you're, you're you look, they always say this, the person that wins the 50 freestyle is the person that slows down the least. Like, yeah. You know that, right? So, yeah. so, so everybody's decelerating at this point, right? So who's, how do you, how do you hold water and maintain? So that's that. And then, then you get down to the last 15 is like, and, and maybe within that section, it's like, do I take a breath? Do I need a breath? Uh, what's my oxygen debt? How do I, how do I get the breath? How do I incorporate it into my stroke and not lose length and power? I mean, these are questions that I ask myself often. Um, so how do I train for that? Uh, and then you get down to the last 15 and under the flags and, and you don't want to scramble to the wall. You don't want to shoot at the wall. You don't want to grab at the wall. You don't want to swim. You don't want to swim to the wall you want to swim through the wall right i always said to my athletes think of it as a 52 like you want to swim through that thing if you start scrambling to the wall you start slipping and, and changing your stroke and even changing your head position looking up for the wall uh you're in all sorts of trouble right and we've seen many people lose a 50 freestyle on a touch so that's that's another key element is how do you maintain that length there and and um and that speed uh and finish on a, on a perfect stroke so these are all the elements that I would talk to myself about and try and understand, break it down into sections and then train those sections ultimately. Nice. That's, that's exactly what, what I've got written down about the breakdown, the elements. And I work with um, a guy called Nigel Redmond. Uh, he was come from England rugby. Uh, didn't mm. know anything about swimming. He was one of my mentors when I worked for British Swimming. And he was great at just asking uh, the questions, like the hard questions that sometimes we don't tend to do. Um, 
so he was like said to me we were talking about the 50 freestyle and 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 he was like well what does it look like what does a 20 what does a 210 look like what does a 235 look like for a girl and i had explained to me and he's like no i don't see it you're not telling me you're giving me numbers and data and he was like but what does it look like tell me james what does it look like and he really put me on the spot in front of my peers and everything so but what, what I've tended to do now with when I break it down and uh, for with an athlete, it's all about emotional cues. And what are the athletes, what do they need to say to themselves at that point in time? Of course, yeah, we uh, from the technical training side, we do have those elements that you just discussed in the start, yeah. Um, but what does that look like for the athlete? Um, mm. What are they going through? So what, what I generally work on in building the best ever 50, I, for my training plan and everything, exactly the same as you, 15 meters, 20, 15 to 25, and then afterwards, and then the last 10. Um, and, and then you, you break it down, like, what do we need to do to fulfill mm -hmm. each stage? And But the emotional bit in the start, like, what's, what's, what's Ben or Flo or Sarah, what are they going to say to themselves when they get on the block? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you saying to yourself? Right, drive, hips, hips up and out. Where where, where are my hips going? And instead, and what, what I did from that point of view, when I deconstruct that 50, there's just mental points rather than mm. this huge barrage of information. They're trying to control their rate and, and everything. But they, they've got these small little words like hips up and out at the start, tense mm -hmm. the abs on the pike on entry, big, strong dolphin kicks uh, into breakout. Uh, when like this, a cue, when to pull, second stroke on the breakout. I always talk about the breakout is... The, the, the tendency of the male sprinter or female freestyle sprinter on breakout, they dig and then the head goes down like exactly mm. what you said. They try too hard. So I always say first stroke first stroke is 98% effort and then you accelerate on the second one and you get into it as opposed to pushing that whole body down. But what do you tell yourself? You're like, you're like extend your neck, extend your neck, extend your neck. And, it's, and that's what, one, of my, one of my trigger points. And then... How do you tell the athlete the first two strokes not to try too hard? Like you, you've been there as an athlete. Mm. I've been there on a 50 brushstroke where you dive in and you've gone, you've, you've, a bit of water's gone out and you've missed the first two strokes and you're done. Mm. And you don't because you haven't held it. You've just tried too hard. So uh, I, I, I say it more like a, a train coming out of the station. You think of that train, that old diesel train, more specific for 50 fly and 50 breast than freestyle. But it's more that old old steam train mm. as they get moving, you know. So mm. you've got at least got a little bit of power and connection in the first stroke. So yep. start hips up and out, pike in, dive, big strong dolphin kicks. Uh, like every athlete's got their own feeling. Then into the race, uh, and I've and I've had athletes come. So we're now like starts done, pick up through the twenty five, accelerate through the fifty, accelerate through, accelerate, accelerate, accelerate um but then your point there is when your atp is done when the fatigue is coming in and this is a real mental point where you get to around about 35 meters of the race and uh it's like where do you sit and you, all the athletes they kind of know where they are so if you swim next to caleb dressel and he's relentless with his 5.00 to dive 15. Mm. he's relentless with it the guy is a machine like a bruno or a flow or in Michael Andrew or Ben Proud, they'll they'll have a great start, and then maybe you know Ben's very good, so he, he can probably do six out of seven out of ten, very good. Caleb does ten out of ten, flow four five out of ten, very good. But it's hit and bit hit and miss. So if you've got a guy next to you, mm. you you feel them right, you mm. know. And if they're slightly up, 
and you're all you are in the emotional zone it's not mm. physiology anymore you're in this emotional zone so how can you and I, one thing i used is stay control stay control big and strong big and strong stay control big and strong big and strong big and strong and you're, you're actually fighting your your natural instinct is because you're tired you're under stress is to get shorter yeah. that's just the human reaction so you need to fight your natural human reaction to stress which yeah. is which is muscle up and get tight so one thing we work on with the athletes is open up big and long big and long big and strong big and strong and just basic keywords like that and that's when you've got more chance of being successful i've had an athlete once uh at 35 meters she was winning the olympic games and she finished fourth mm. but she she told me afterwards she looked across and she was like she, she actually thought shit i'm win winning the olympics and then mm. just try too hard mm. and it was more it was more an emotional mechanical response rather than physiological oh, man. I, I can relate to that because i uh i was actually next to i was in lane six at the olympics in uh in sydney my first olympics and i was next to peter van den hugenbahn in lane five who had a notoriously terrible start and then I was next to Alex Popoff in, in lane four. So it was four Popoff, five Hugenbahn, six uh, myself for both the prelims and the semifinals. And, um, <laughs> and in both those situations, I got to the 30-meter mark and I looked across and I was like, well, I'm smoking Peter and, and I'm beating Alex Popoff at the Olympic Games. You know, it's in Sydney. And, uh, and then next minute, it's just like, you know, those two guys just like, I mean, I, I, again, I slowed down the fastest. So I'm like out like a rocket and I'm ripping and tearing, right? And, and, and snatching. I always use that word snatch. I was snatching at the water. Mm -hmm. I was ripping and tearing at it. And I'm like, I'm beating these guys. And then all of a sudden, it's like you hit this wall and your body just shuts down and they're just on, on a rhythm and swim straight past you, you know, and that happened to me at the Olympics too. So I can, I can, uh, understand I wasn't winning the Olympics, but I was certainly winning my heat at that point in time. And, uh, not fun when someone swims by you like that. No, it's not. And that's, that's, it's such a psychological event. Mm. Any 50, 50 flies. I think 50 flies, the most psychological event. Like how many times we see athletes fastest out the heats, fastest into the semi-final not even make the final because they're snapped mm. at the water they Snatch. try too hard and um, the 50 fly is is i think it's one of the hardest events to actually swim and mm. you see it through history I, you talk about roland and i remember roland being fastest in the final and not meddling or not even mm. make and some and i see, see so many times it happens and the medals come from anywhere in a 50 fly final and yeah there's no real the, all it is is emotion it's keep staying under control it's emotion and nervous energy and how you utilize that mate i grew up playing golf you know i, I was surrounded by four golf courses uh, my house was growing up as a kid and, and we grew up playing golf and you know the the best thing in the world is to tee up a golf ball and you have a big driver you know and you look down the fairway and all you want to do is rip that thing as further than your mates around you you know you've got a group of buddies you're up playing golf put this little ball in the ground you tee it up and you just want to show them how how good you are how hard you can hit this thing and so you get up there you grip the you grip the the shaft and 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 you put a little bit extra on it and then you swing a little bit extra because your friends are watching and you're seeing you know I, I want to get it 20 yards further than everybody else and you put a little bit extra into that and you swing and you rip and you crack that ball and you connect 
but that ball all of a sudden flies up in the air and then takes a massive swing to the right or or the left because you've just gripped it too hard, mate. You've just wanted it too much, you know. You've wanted it, and I and I've had that experience in a big moment where you've got to get from one end of the pool to the other faster than everybody else, and it's going to take you twenty seconds. You know, it's like. All right, I'm going to show everybody what I can do here. So I, the first thing you do, the first stroke you come up with is you you put something on that first stroke and you rip and you start slipping water immediately, you know? And once you get into that slip factory, I mean, it's just like a slip and slide. You ain't getting off that train, mate. So it's like, and then you're just burning up. I've had races where I've got out and my lactate in the 50 freestyle has been 16, 17. It's just, and, and I've had a bright red face, like I've just run a marathon. I'm, I've, I've had no saliva in my mouth i'm thirsty as all get out right and and it was the hardest swim i've ever done and then you come back at night and you think to yourself ah oh, just relax and you go out there and, and swim the best swim of your life you know and, and doing it totally different and so it, it really just comes down to the 50 is just being in a relaxed state like you said and having those cues i love the fact that you had those cues for each part of the race it just keeps them calm keeps them steady and keep some control into what they've trained to do, you know, so. Yeah, and as a coach, Brett, with the cues, it's 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 a sit-down conversation with the mm. athlete. Mm. And you, you talk about it as a, as a as a together. So, and that also calms them down because they're in control. It's their cues. It's not the, the coach. The coach is the facilitator in the conversation, but it's their cues. So yeah. they actually, in it because once you, it's enormous, isn't it? Like you, you stand at the end of the pool. We've been in Olympic finals. We've been in world finals. You stand there. You think, right, next 22 seconds to change my life. Yeah. And but once you break it down to so like, right, I just need to think about my start. And that's where you get the result. We, and we, and process is a bit. Well, do the process. I've heard this word so many times. Now I'm a bit bored of the process. There is an outcome to it, but you do need to go towards something that will emotionally calm you down. But Destro Swim Towers gain strength in the water with a tower of power save 150 dollars per double swim tower by using code brett b-r-e-t-t -T, at checkout destromachines.com vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmers catch Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. As I'll give you another example about slipping. I had an, exa uh, 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 an example where we, I worked with an athlete and we tried to make an athlete slip water because that was the only way we we're going to beat him. And that was with Cameron Vandenberg and Adam Peaty on the Gold Coast in 2018. And it was a, a, a it, Cameron was an older athlete, so you can have an, an adult conversation with him. Like in a straight fight with Adam, we can't beat Adam Peaty. We mm. cannot beat Adam. It's not going to happen. And Cameron understood this very well. And he was like, "Well, so how do we beat Adam? We've got to make him slip water. Mm. We've got to do something that he's not expecting us to do." Mm. And Cameron actually, that uh, was well planned. That we had bad starts in the heats and the semis. He had to, he wanted, we planned it to have bad starts because we knew at some point they might, you know, there might be some video analysis goes on. You look at your opposition, what's happening. I, I don't know what the, what Adam did at that point, but we thought, and he, we thought we've got to try and make him slip water in his first few strokes. 
And then that will spill out in the rest of his swim. And so Cameron actually purposefully started badly in the heats and the semis. And then he was next to Adam in the final and he dropped seven tenths on a 15 meters in the final. Mm -hmm. So it was that shock factor that Adam was at least a meter and a half behind. <laughs> and he came up and the first the first strokes were like this and and i, I was like oh my god this is actually playing out but uh, we were all we, we we even thought adam's too good to lose and this and then it took him it took him 20 meters to start getting his stroke under control and then and then he started to reel cameron in like i've never seen anything before hmm. but because cameron had, had done what he did he'd he'd actually affected the other guy's race Mm. And if at the minute, if the race was a centimetre longer, he wouldn't have beaten Adam, but he did. So mm. that it was, it was, we tried something radical and it worked. So mm. we, the swimmers can affect each other. Oh, yeah. It was a, a thought out process behind it. I love it, man. That's great coaching and uh, great uh, execution and confidence from the athlete, too. You know, like you said, Cameron's a very mature athlete, so he, he can, he can understand that and get that and, and play with it and, uh, execute it well so mate uh here's one I've, I've heard gary hall jr flat out say that the 50 freestyle is the toughest event on the program what would be your argument for that so my argument for it is it's the most psychological event on the program absolutely it's uh there's no margin for error there's it even it doesn't matter your level as an athlete if you're not going in to the olympics at 100 percent, you're not winning the 50. if you're caleb or i know david popovich doesn't do it uh but if you're david you're not winning the 50. so you you have to have a perfect training cycle going in pretty much uh, or you've got to have this mental belief in yourself that you're invincible um so i say for the, from a psychological point of view yes it's the absolutely the most challenging event I and mean, they're all hard brett they're, every event at the olympics is hard every olympic final is, a, is a, i've been in a hundred breaststroke final it's different uh but every event is, is is tricky but the 53 is it's it's so psychological it's the core room it's uh, there's no there's just no margin for error there's zero so i yeah. think in some events and this is where our sport we need a, you can almost pick who the podium are going to be in the long in the more distance events women's four medley Simon McIntosh is on fire you know Ledecky is going to be hard to beat in uh, the women's distance events you can almost pick them but the 53 it's it's so difficult it's so mm. difficult yeah all right I'll give you my argument for it then and uh here it is I'll, I'll give you three reasons why the 53 is the toughest event on the program number one everybody thinks they can do it because it's just a 50 right everybody thinks and everybody swims freestyle so everybody thinks they can do it that's number one number two everybody tries to do it okay when you look at a heat sheet at the olympic games or anywhere else you have three heats of 400 im and you have 27 heats of 50 freestyle so you're you're the people that you're competing against is much larger than than any other event on the program right because everybody thinks they can do it and it's it's one of the events that everybody does and then um and then there's this this third thing where for some reason everybody thinks it's easy right it's it's <laughs> it's easy and um that's the 
that's the greatest myth of all time is that you, you think it's easy. So what I would say to my competition anytime I raced uh, would be if it's easy to do it and anybody can do it and, and anybody can win because you get that argument too. Oh, anybody can win that race. It's a, it's a crapshoot, right? Like who, who knows? I, I'd say to them, okay, if anybody can do it and anybody can win, stand up next to me and beat me, you know? Just have a crack at me. See if you can beat me. And if you can't beat me, then stop telling me it's an easy event and stop telling me anybody can do it because I could beat you any day of the week in it. And and that's what, like, they give out gold medals for the 50 freestyle at all major international meets, just like any other event. And yet it's the most contested. It's the most difficult because you've got to be precise, like you said, and you've got to be on your game and you've got to be so well trained and you've got to be so well ready mentally and physically to when that gun goes off to do exactly to execute exactly to precision and not over try like, because you might be ready and you might put too much into it. So this, it's just so finite in terms of how to do it and how to be ready for it and the amount of competition of people that can do it. Um, and so that's why I think it's the toughest event for all those reasons. No, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And I'd, I'm going to extend that a little bit to say, why why do we not have 4x50 relays at the Olympics? 4x50 mm. free mix, 4x50 mm. medley. I think they'd be, everyone mm. would watch them. Mm. Everyone yeah. it would be a viewing, it would be massive in viewing. 4x50 mixed freestyle relay would be awesome. Or, and it would give other countries chance to come in other than, you know, of course, America yeah. is going to be going to be good. But, you know, yeah. Australia, I, I, I'm just seeing an entertainment thing. For me to watch the entertainment, 4x50 medley, 4x50 mixed freestyle, mixed medley, 4x50, uh, four, yeah. I yeah, just think mate, it would be a good mate, event. NCAA starts off with the 4x50 freestyle relay. Um, well, I guess it starts off with the 4x2 the day before. But the first the first race of day one at NCAA's is the is the four by 50 yard freestyle mate you're on the edge of your seat i mean you're so anxious and so nervous and the anticipation is so high um for that race i mean it's just like a poop 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 done you know and it's like you got to be so precise there's so much energy and testosterone and all sorts of things flying around and so yeah that that would be a great race i agree and and if you do want to have a mixed race yeah put that in and then it you know the gap in these hundreds is so great you know like it could be up to 10 seconds for between men and women in a hundred whereas in a 50 you're only talking about maybe a couple of seconds so you're really it's going to be a much closer race you've got to be very tactical i think the four by 50 mixed is a much better race than the four by one mixed to be quite honest so uh, i think that that's a definitely we've got to we've got to st keep pushing for that mate um have you got any, you got another question for me mate I've, I, well they're on my phone and because my laptop didn't didn't okay. work i'm on my phone right. for this so i can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember. all right i got one for you um how has your training evolved over the past uh, maybe even 10 years since you coached Flo uh, to win gold in 2012? Has, have, have you had changes since then? I think, I think yes, you, you change a lot, actually. Uh, and I was uh, through the Any Question app uh, and some of the questions that I was given. I don't think you change, but you do. And I went back and looked at some of my old workouts uh, I used to do in 2012. And I'm like, oh my God, this is genius. Mm. Uh, wh why the hell am I not doing this stuff now? Why have I evolved 
away from some mm. of the great stuff that I used to do. Um, but you, you, you evolve really by what, because what you've got in front of your face, you know, what you're dealing with on a daily basis, you you do, you know, you design the programs around your, your best athletes that you're working with there and then, and it's not the same, is it? And I just forgot all some of the drills I used to do mm. and some of the stuff that, that we did with Flo before London and, and then even Fran Housel, uh, leading, you know, leading into Rio. And I just missed so much great stuff. So I think I actually evolved in many ways more positive because my experience and uh, I was more capable of dealing with difficult situations or if an athlete's having a bit of a bad run or set, you know, you, you know what to do, you know how to adapt it, you know how to get the best out of them or, and you know, yeah. you know, it's all right to take three days off, right? It's fine. You're not going to yeah. lose yeah. lose the world champs if you miss a workout. <laughs> yeah, mate. How many Olympic champions had you coached before 2012? Zero. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's the same for me. So 2008, I look at 2008. I go back to the logbooks or even just people I've talked to about what we did and how we did it, mate. I was the most creative coach at that point in time than I'd ever been in my whole career. I was I was willing to take risks, right? Because yeah. I hadn't I hadn't won yet. And it was the same as you. You get 2012 and all of a sudden the expectation is, oh, you got to win again and you got to be that good all the time. And you're you're less willing to take risks. You're you're less willing to kind of innovate, right? But before that, you're like, let's just try everything. Let's just let's just get out there and experiment and play and have fun and and let's try this and let's try that. And let's if we need to make a change, let's make a change, right? So like that was my mentality that whole time in 2008, 2009. And then, and then it started to shift a little bit. I started, to, I started to tighten up. I started to feel like I had to do certain things a certain way. I was a little less risk taking, a little less willing to kind of innovate. And I, and I think that's what you're talking about here too. And then when I've gone back to kind of look at some of my old stuff, I'm like, why did I get away from this? I mean, this was great stuff. Like it was just me kind of coming in and flowing. And that's again, this is the art of coaching. The art of sprinting is you got to make it fun and exciting, and you got to make it challenging and stimulating. And, and, and in order to do that, it has to be different. It can't just be the same stuff. And I, I got caught up in just kind of regurgitating some, some old, you know, just safe things, which led me to less great results, you know? Yeah. Less willing to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've evolved more, I've evolved in my program, but I'm going to say, yeah, I, I mm. think, I think over time I have become less willing to innovate because I'm safe, I'm safer mm. and I know that works, but I know if I do it, it's going to work, you know, I'm right. going to get a result. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking exactly the same as you. And uh, I think every coach should just have a, should have a truth teller, uh, someone you can speak to about what you're doing and mm. someone that can say, honestly, yeah, your programs are getting all a bit samey and not, you don't get fed up with it, but you need, you need, we all need to revisit some of the stuff we've done because we're this it's got it's gold right yeah well what's the number what's the number one key to success that you had with flow in 2012 what what was the one thing that you did right before the olympics that helped him win that gold medal what was it change his technique change his technique change his technique mate we wouldn't <laughs> take those risks now you know like we'd be less willing to be like oh no. let's just let's just stick with what we're doing you know but back then you're like hey mate let's change it you know and see what happens <laughs> And then, boom, you go out and win the Olympic gold. And that, that's the mentality I had, mate. So what I would certainly recommend to you is if you need to change something, change. If you need to innovate, innovate. If you want to experiment, experiment. You know, don't don't stick to the norm, you know. Um, 
and and, I, and I've tried to do that. I tried to do that, you know, later on the last couple of years, and and I think I actually had some success with with Bruno Fratus in in Tokyo because we changed up some things and I started to experiment more and play a bit more. You know, we we definitely switched things up for Tokyo, and and got the result that we wanted. Um, because we're willing to play and experiment, and, and I would I would certainly recommend that for any coach out there listening is stop doing what you've always been doing, get out there and challenge yourself to do things differently. You know, well, it's the hamster wheel, isn't it? You mm. just go, you get on it, just go mm. round and round and round. And I do. I, I sometimes look at some of my workouts and I think, ah, it's, where's the variation? Mm. Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning is underwater kick or. And it's mm. how many different ways can you ride it, um, yeah. yeah, and dress it up. And yeah, no, like, like so. So before before two thousand eight, because Cesar was breakout in two thousand and eight. What was a great thing that you were doing there? What was what made the difference? Whew. Um, that's a good question. Uh, what what's the great thing that we were doing? I mean, it really comes back to this willingness to play like i wanted i wanted the athletes my goal for the athletes at that point in time was to walk off the deck with a smile on their face every single practice okay i wanted them to walk off the deck with a smile and because if they smiled walking away that smile coming back you know that was kind of the idea behind it of like if they if they're pissed off walking out they're going to be pissed off walking in the next time you know because they don't want to come back they're forced to come back but if they're running through the door with a smile, like I had so much fun yesterday, I, I, I got better yesterday, make me better today. If you come in with that attitude, that's kind of the, the group mentality that we had at that point is like, let's, let's play and have fun. And to be quite honest, we were so outside of what everybody else was doing in the program that it pissed everybody else off, to be honest. Like, you know, when you've got your 400 IM is sl slopping up and down the pool, doing the work that they're doing, getting slapped around. And we're over here, you know, throwing water polo balls around and just, um, you know, going at each other. Um, it can be quite, you know, confronting to these other athletes of like, why are they having so much fun and we're not, you know? So it was, that, that might have been part of the reason why I got away from it. Once I became the head coach, I was like, well, I can't just have fun with these guys. I've got to, I got to kind of, you know, so I kind of got away from that. But as an assistant, it was like, let's play. And so we had this play mentality and that really helped us get better. But the, the play mentality also had a seriousness to it, right? It wasn't, we're not messing around. The play mentality is let's have fun getting better. Let's have fun swimming as fast as we can. Let's have fun competing, right? And one of the things I'll give you a tip here is like, we took the idea of the Tour de France, right? And each stage has a winner and each stage gets awarded a jersey, right? So when we would have fun and compete in the water, we were competing for a jersey. So we would call it kind of the, the Tour de France. And we, we went out and bought cycling jerseys. You know, we, we had a green jersey. The yellow the, jersey. Yeah, the yellow jersey, right? And so we would compete throughout a practice. And at the end, we'd all kind of do a, uh, a vote on who we thought was the best person for that practice. And it was like kind of a collective idea of like, yep, that person gave it up today. That person, that person outdid me. All right. So they would, they would walk away with the yellow Jersey and they'd walk, they'd walk off the deck with this yellow Jersey on. So just creating fun ways to compete and get better. The, the outcome and the goal of every practice is to prepare yourself to be the best that you can be and, and, and be ready. And you know, this, 
uh, a fast swimmer is a happy swimmer, right? So if you're not happy at the end of the season, if, if you've just, if you've just like had your butt kicked all year long and you've just been dragging all year long, that's not going to change in taper time, right? Like that's going to follow all the way through and it's going to be a miserable season that you look back on. So if I could just say anything non-specific, it was experiment and play, have fun, be competitive. And then what does that mean to you out there who's listening? That's up to you. You know, I can't tell you this is what I did exactly and that's what you should do exactly. But I can tell you it was very competitive and it was a lot of fun coming to practice every day. Um, and that, yeah, so that, that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Magic period. Right. And then it's, it's, it's interesting when you, you're free and you're doing this and it's just flow and then mm. you get more responsibility. Like when you become yeah. a head coach, yeah. it's amazing how things change. You, you try to tell yourself they shouldn't change, but they do. Um, mm -hmm. they, it, it is, it's oh, just yeah. a fact of life. Yeah. Uh, things have to change because you're in a different role and different responsibilities. Yeah. So that's uh, it was interesting you said that. Yeah, something similar I can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us this, mate. What's what's next for James Gibson? Where where you're at in uh, in your life right now? Are you able to share anything that's going on with you? Uh, not so much. Not so much right now. Uh, when is that? When does that come out? You think when? Uh, when are you able to kind of tell the public what you're doing? Soon, soon, soon. There's no, I'm, I'm working. I'd say, like I said, uh, we talked about earlier about uh, mentoring with Ben. Um, yeah. I'm working, been working with him all year, yeah. um, properly. So, and he's had a he's had a good year. So, we've got Melbourne coming up. Mm. Um, next Are you week. going to Melbourne? No, I'm not coming out. I would like to. I'd like to go to Australia, but uh, mm. you know, Brett, being Aussie yourself, but I'm back to London, spend some time with my son. Yeah. Um, I think you know we're just talking about the coaching side. I've shifted more to that sense, being more of the mentor side with ben i think in i've been revisiting this in speeches and presentations lately i think i can break it down coaching now into three distinct sort of phases there's the teaching phase where you're a teacher you're giving skills and and teaching the athletes for a period and that's generally with the younger younger ones and then you shift to becoming a manager where you're managing their life they don't mm. really have too much left to learn in terms of technique and uh their bodies you, you're more managing them you're they're, you know they have commitments like sponsors fitting everything into a weekly program and you'd be more of a manager style uh uh coach than anything else and then i'm saying i'm more of the mentor role now with ben i've shifted to that next level where I'm not here at present all the time i'm here when there's strategic periods where we need to be good and he needs a bit of extra but he he's also getting to a point in his career we where like bruno they, they like their freedom you know, and yeah. uh, they need to express themselves. And it, ultimately, they're the athletes. That's their career. So I'm at that point. Um, but uh, there'll be some news to share at some point, And I'll, I'll get that over to you. Right. I love it, mate. Um, I'm going to ask you one more tough question. I'm not going to clip it because I don't want this to overshadow everything that we've talked about. But I do want to ask it because you're, you're just a central part of it, have been in the past. But, mate, is the ISL ever coming back? So, in, in, you know, the, the idea behind it and the racing and the lot, it, it makes sense, you know, that it over more, more media, more exposure, more fun. I think there's, there's challenges going on. I think uh, there's, new, there's a new management team in play there. Ben Allen, uh, the, the CEO, Matt Dorr, working on um, raising funds. But that's, 
you know that's that's something that that was a project that was great in that period and i think it's more of a a wait and see really mm, yeah yeah it's kind of the feeling like i guess that everybody gets i mean we understand there's a war going on too and that hasn't yeah. ended and so um i don't think anyone's oblivious to that but i just i just didn't know from your perspective so yeah it's 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 sad mate i i really enjoyed watching you perform at that level you know where you were kind of leading the biggest club in the world with all the best swimmers it was it was kind of a a proud moment for me to like look back you know just stand back and watch you you know like because i'm a i'm a fan of yours mate and and uh, what you've done and how you do it and I think you really took swimming to another level in your professionalism and the way you handled all that. And so we, we, you know, professional athletes all around the world have a lot to thank you for, I think. And um, so, you know, your impact on swimming has been great, mate. You should be really proud of it, you know? Thanks, Brett. And I think, you know, we did this podcast, uh, the, pro the, well, the proper podcast about coaching a while back. And I'm just doing my best like every other coach in the world. Every coach walks onto the deck to do mm. their best. They're not intentionally going out there to do a bad job. I know some people have bad seasons and, you know, it's just our industry is quite brutal and everyone's got opinions <laughs> on what yeah. we do. That's why I love this podcast because it's a chance to get out like some of the stuff that we're passionate about and what we do and what some people don't understand. But, you know, we all do our best. Every team, every head coach in the US with their university teams, everyone's going out to do their best. And I'm no different. And I'm part of a, a, a great community and with guys like yourself. And I've really enjoyed this, mate. I've loved having a, a proper chat with you and actually being on the other side to actually ask you some stuff because you've got yeah. so much in there that you should be giving. You, you, you're always asking the questions, but there's a lot more lot more knowledge and info that um we can extract yeah well mate i appreciate this. this has been fun you know sharing all this information and uh hopefully we can continue to push sprinting forward and become more recognized and more understanding of how we do it and there's certainly coaches out there that are picking up the ball and running with it right now you know like a todd DeSorbo, for instance at, at virginia yeah. certainly doing a fantastic job and, and moving the sport forward with female sprinting especially so it's good to see people like that um you know taking this taking it further and so maybe maybe there might be a time where we need to write a book about this mate so at least we have uh, where we are right now and then you know people can reference it and go on from that so that could be the next step mate well, there isn't there isn't a model. You know, there are models, no. model. The Australian method, heart rate threshold model. There isn't a specific model. So yeah, let's work on it. Yeah. Okay, mate. I appreciate it. Take care, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, Brett. Thank you. I would like to tell a story of how Swim Angel Fish improved my skills and a major aspect of my life. First of all, when, when I was a small child, when I was like four years old, I had a fear of going into water because I was afraid of getting my going, water going in my eyes and also the fear of drowning. No flippers. You want me to hold you? Oh yes, the whole time. Let's finish this. I got gotcha. you. Good job, Peter. I'm gonna hang on the whole 
time. <sighs> what was that? Easy or hard? Easy. You tell me. Easy. It was. Easy. I'm a super swimmer. You're a good swimmer. Your body flows. Did you see that time how there was no discussion and I just grabbed the opportunity in a much better way? I'm touching my jaw. Smile. Can you show me a good smile? And when I got to the age of 11, I wanted to start, I wanted to start developing swimming skills because I noticed that a lot of my friends and peers have, are good at swimming. Well, let's show them how we learn to, I can now let go the whole way. Yeah. So how about you gonna come around and see from the whole way for your first time ever with not me touching? Can I sit next to you? Yeah, of course. Excuse me. Are you okay or do you want me to touch you? Last time go I swam a whole yeah. without anyone touching me. That is in Overall, in conclusion, I think I would like to thank Swim Angelfish for doing a great job of helping me develop confidence, bravery, and skill.